On the show today, Canadian civil rights groups claim that Ontario police illegally searched a COVID-19 testing database. The Mayo Clinic says that smartwatches have led to an increase in cardiac-related emergency visits. A security researcher holds his coffee maker for ransom. Our scam of the day requires you to visit a doctor before you can pick up your packages. And today's tip teaches you how to protect your home router. All of that and more is coming up on the October 5th, 2020 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have three stories for you on the Newsbeat today. We kick off the Newsbeat north of the border, where Canadian civil rights groups have alleged that police departments in Ontario have engaged in illegal searches of a now-defunct COVID-19 testing database. Both the Canadian Civil Liberties Association and the Canadian Constitution Foundation allege that multiple police departments in the province abuse their access to the information. Data release shows that 95,000 searches of the database were conducted. A representative for the Canadian Constitution Foundation was quoted as saying that police use the database to look up information unrelated to active calls, including searches of positive test results for entire zip codes and searches outside of their jurisdiction. Police access to the database ended on August 17th, following a successful legal challenge. To be honest with you, I have a conflicted take on this one. Clearly, I can see the interest the police have in receiving access to this information in order to make sure that their officers remain safe. Police and other public safety departments won't be able to function if a number of their employees are in quarantine. However, I fully understand the privacy implications as well. No one would have expected that police would have full access to the results of medical tests especially if the searches were unrelated to police investigations. We have access to be able to collect, retain, and use data better than ever, but that ability also opens the possibility for misuse of that data. I'm not completely sure where I think the line should be drawn, but I do hope that we can figure out a good place to draw it before anything like this happens again. In other medical news, A study published this week shows that 90% of patients who visited the Mayo Clinic after receiving an abnormal pulse reading on their Apple Watch were not diagnosed with any kind of a cardiac condition. The study covered a six-month period from late 2018 to early 2019 and found that only 10% of those who visited due to an Apple Watch alert actually were diagnosed with a heart problem as a result. Some people even visited due to the watch alert despite having no other symptoms of cardiac problems. 
The study concluded that these types of devices that have not undergone rigorous medical study may be leading to overuse of the medical system, resulting in unnecessary visits and expenses. In my opinion, it's understandable why both sides are concerned. No one wants to ignore an alert that they might have a heart problem. Yet doctors are rightfully concerned about the potential for overwhelming the medical system with false positives. Advising someone to ignore the alerts just because they don't have any other symptoms or family history could be asking for a lawsuit if someone dies based on that advice. It's important to remember, smartwatches are not true medical devices, so the data they provide must be used with caution. And moving on to some more humorous news, a cybersecurity researcher demonstrated a proof-of-concept ransomware attack against a coffee maker. In a blog post for Avast, a coffee maker produced by the company Smarter was tricked into updating its internal software. This new software caused the coffee maker to turn on its hotbed and grinder while displaying a demand for ransom. In a response, Smarter says that it updated the software used on its coffee makers in 2017, and the device in question was a 2016 device that no longer receives updates. As a coffee drinker myself, I must admit that this seems to be the nightmare scenario. Don't mess with someone's ability to get coffee in the morning. But on a more serious note, this illustrates the potential security risks from these smart devices. Everyone wants to create more smart devices, but in many cases, Securing these devices is only a secondary concern. As more and more of these devices become smart, the problem will only get worse. We could soon reach the point where poor security could actually kill or cause widespread panic. Take the last story, for example. Someone could very quickly overwhelm all the hospitals in a city if they found an Apple Watch flaw that allowed them to trigger a health warning on every device. Or imagine a flaw in an internet-connected pacemaker that allowed someone to make another person's heart race. In next Monday's episode, we'll cover more on the security of these internet-connected smart devices. However, a warning for all potential hackers. Holding coffee makers for ransom may be something you don't want to pursue. You could unleash angry hordes of zombie-like people screaming, Don't try to scam me until I've had my coffee. And now we move on to the scam of the day. Today's scam is a short one that hit my inbox a couple weeks ago. For the privacy of my personal email address, I'll be removing the two places where it says my email and just be substituting email address in its place. The sender's name is FedEx, but the email address used is fedex at lycano.com. When I visited that site, I found a website that was almost entirely in Polish, except for a contact form and one statement that read, Have you ever do it without any problems? Seems totally legitimate that FedEx would be sending their emails from that domain. The subject line reads, Last reminder, email address, please respond immediately, my clients. And the email says, FedEx, 
Dear email address, We would like to inform you that your package could not be delivered due to incomplete information of your physical. Please use the button below to update your personal address. Update your address. This email has been sent to email address 2020 FedEx. The content of this message is protected by copyright and trademark laws under U.S. and international law. Review our privacy policy. All rights reserved. 1003079-3-6-US-EN3023-4291 Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been asked to take a physical before I could receive a package from FedEx. I guess I better get it scheduled with my doctor right away. I hear some offices have been a little backed up with appointments recently. I don't want to miss out on whatever is in this package that I was not expecting. If you find a scam email that you think we'd like to read on the show, forward it to scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for our cybersecurity pop quiz. Each episode, I'll ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the correct answer. Today's question is a simple multiple choice. The question is, which of these is the most common subject line used in phishing emails? A, your direct deposit could not be processed. B, your recent order. C, request. D, the zombie apocalypse is imminent. The answer will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you can be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 2 in February. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode is released at 8 a.m. on Monday, October 8th. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quizrules. Last week's question was, when you take a picture, which of the following items could be embedded within the photo by your camera? The correct options were A. The GPS coordinates where the photo was taken C. The type of camera used to take the photo and D. The date and time the photo was taken Many people don't realize that their camera will store all of this information, known as metadata. When you post a photo online, someone could download the picture and get all of that information about where you were, when you were there, and what camera you used. Fortunately, some websites like Facebook will remove all of that when you upload a photo, but other sites don't, so be careful that you're not sharing too much information when you share a photo online. The incorrect answers were B, the names of the people in the photo, and E, the social media sites the photo was posted to. Obviously, your camera isn't going to know the names of the people in the photo 
or the social media sites that you're eventually going to upload it to. When you do upload it, Facebook will certainly try to figure out who was in that picture and suggest you tag people, but your camera won't do that. In between your home devices and the internet stands a single box that manages all of your internet traffic. However, if you don't set that box up properly, you could quickly find that device compromised to spy on you or worse. We'll have more on how to protect your home router when we come back from this quick break. Hey, it's Jim. I just wanted to take a few seconds to tell you about a brand new class I'll be teaching. It's called the 5-Day Security Boost. For five days from November 9th through November 13th, I'll be live on Facebook at 9 p.m. each night teaching you about five quick changes that will make a huge difference in your online safety. It's a great opportunity to not just learn about online security, but also to ask me any questions that you might have. And if you can't make it live, you can still sign up because replays will be available through November 20th. For more information or to sign up, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash securityboost. When you signed up for your home internet service, you probably either received a router, or if someone came to your home, a router was set up for you. If you're like most people, that device has probably been sitting somewhere, tucked away or buried, and you haven't given it much thought since. However, that little box holds the key to all of your internet traffic. True to its name, it routes all of the internet traffic from your home onto the internet itself, sending each piece of information on its way to the destination. For home users, most routers also function as a switch, allowing you to connect multiple devices to the internet at once. The switch functionality is what allows your one-year-old to watch Baby Shark over and over while you check your work email, all while performing the important function of making sure that those two different types of traffic don't get mixed up. While the router and switch functionality are technically two separate functions, when most people talk about a router, they're usually referring to both the router and the switch. So to make things simple for the rest of this episode, I'll use the common parlance and combine both functions under the term router. It's possible that you never even realize the importance that this little box has on your life. Without a router, your internet ceases to function. You can't watch Netflix or Hulu. An older child can't submit homework assignments to the school's online portal. A younger child can't watch Dora the Explorer, Baby Shark, or any other kids' videos. And, in what might possibly be the worst thing of all, no one will be able to visit Instagram, the only place where we can now keep up with the Kardashians since their TV show was canceled. But all joking aside, the router is also the place that handles our online banking our email, and all of our other sensitive data that we send out on the internet. In order to protect all of that information, 
There are six steps that you should take in order to lock down your router. Before I list the six steps, I need to tell you where you should go to make these changes. Your router has a control panel that is accessible to any device that's connected to it. In order to access that panel, you need to enter the router's IP address, which is a series of four numbers separated by periods. Then you'll usually need to enter a username and password. The exact address and the default username and password will vary by the router, but you should be able to find it in the documentation. If you don't have the documentation, I'll have a link to a reputable place that you can check in the show notes at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com episode 27. Once you've accessed the control panel, you can start making these changes. First, change the Wi-Fi name and the default password. Most wireless routers come with a default name that announces the brand and sometimes even the model number of the router. If someone knows of a security flaw in the brand of router that you have, they could exploit that flaw to gain access to your network. If you change the name to something that doesn't identify the brand of the router, they'll have to work harder to find a flaw that they can exploit. Changing the default password is even more important. If you use the default password, someone could look it up online and use it to access your network. They could then attempt to communicate with the other devices that you own, or they could use that access to conduct illegal activity. The very first thing that I did on this show, all the way back at the beginning of episode one, was to tell the story of a couple whose neighbor used their unsecure Wi-Fi network to download child porn. Since the traffic was going through the couple's router, the police came to their home instead of going to the neighbor's. While they were eventually released and the neighbor was caught, having the police show up early in the morning is not something anyone wants to go through. However, your router also has a second password. That brings us to point number two, change the administrator password. As I mentioned, you enter the router's IP address and then sign in with a username and password in order to access the control panel. Since this admin password is usually a default one, anyone who finds their way to your network could look up the password and access your router's control panel. If someone gets access to this control panel, they could make changes to settings and even lock you out of your own Wi-Fi network. By changing this password to something stronger than the default one, you can help prevent any unauthorized changes from occurring. Third, if you have a way to access your router settings using a wired connection, most routers have an option to prohibit wireless devices from accessing the control panel. This feature may go by many names, but wireless administration and remote administration are two of the most common ones. Once you've made these changes I'm proposing, you'll rarely need to access these settings again. So if you have a hardwired device, I highly recommend that you make this change. This change will mean that someone will have to break into your house and physically connect a device to your router in order to change any settings. Fourth, check on the encryption settings for your wireless network. 
Almost all routers will have at least three options, WEP, WPA, or WPA2. If those are your three options, WPA2 is the only option that maintains good security. Newer routers may offer WPA3, which is a more secure option if it's available. The encryption is what scrambles the data so other devices in the area have no idea what's being said. If you're using WEP or WPA, there are simple attacks that can crack the encryption and read all of your traffic. Fifth, enable the firewall. A firewall keeps out unwanted traffic that may find its way to your router. The internet was designed to be an open place which means that the public address of your router could be picked up and used to send messages. Enabling the firewall will help stop these unwanted messages before they even have the chance to reach you. Sixth, if you have the option to create a guest network, turn it on. If you have any kind of social life, you'll likely have people over to your house from time to time either to visit for an evening or to spend the night. Enabling the guest network allows you to put your friends' devices on their own network, separate from the one that you connect your devices to. Hopefully, your friends won't try anything malicious, but in case they do, your devices will remain protected. In summary, these six steps, changing your Wi-Fi name and password, changing the router's administrator password, turning off remote administration, enabling the strongest encryption possible, turning on the firewall, and using the guest network will help you keep your router and your devices protected. There's nothing that will enable perfect security, but if you follow these six steps to lock your devices down, there's a large chance that an attacker will leave you alone and go after someone else. That's all for today's show. Thank you so much for listening, and be sure to join us again on Thursday, as we will continue our special bonus episodes for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Thursday's tip will cover privacy settings that you need to change in Windows 10. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.